Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Grace Church this evening. It's great to see all of you that have joined us here on campus. It truly is a pleasure to see you. Great to gather here on campus. And for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we'd like to say welcome to you as well. I have just one announcement to make this evening, and I will quickly move out of the way. We do want to remind you that uh, 21 Days of Sacrifice continues, and that will be through Sunday, August 29th. Uh, hopefully, you have uh, made the decision to give up something meaningful, be it social media or um, media or chicken livers or I'm glad y'all laughed. That's been a standing joke. I've been I have been sacrificing chicken livers for the past 40, almost eight years. And Jesus is very happy about that. And so am I. But hopefully you've given up something meaningful, like, uh, you know, something chocolate or bread or some of you given up coffee but uh, whatever it is that you've decided to sacrifice for this 21 days we do ask that you continue to do that and fill that space with some prayer and with some with some bible time and use it to draw closer to god you know whenever i talked to jesus this morning he didn't seem worried he wasn't anxious he, he wasn't puzzled um he he seemed pretty confident and um just peaceful about the direction of things and where I am and where the people that I love and care about are. He, he was not worried or nervous in the slightest. He was just as rock solid as he's always been. I expect that to continue. No matter how I feel, I expect Jesus to remain in control and confident and perfectly at peace with what's going on because he's got it all in control. The scripture says now we know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Not necessarily that we feel that way, but we know this. Sometimes we operate off of what we know and not necessarily what we feel. So I hope that ministers to you this evening as pastor comes. God bless you, Grace Church. We love you. Jason, great to see all of you. Thank you for being here tonight, and uh, great time here this past Sunday. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord was here in such a great way, and we're so very, very thankful for that. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand tonight. We need to go to the Lord in prayer, uh, and we need to pray for some folks, for some families. Um, I'm sure most of you are probably connected with somebody here at Grace Church, but we've had a lot of sickness week through our church and I'm very thankful when we see people return after uh, sickness and what have you but uh, if you'd pray about those needs but um, we need to pray for uh, the Simmons family uh, a lot of you will know Buddy and Gloria Simmons uh, from the first church years ago um, brother Buddy passed away at the end of last week and Sister Gloria passed away today. And uh, so both of their kids are uh, certainly going through the struggle of their life, uh, having both, lose both parents in such a short amount of time. If we could pray for Brother Merrill Murphy and his family, uh, been very, very sick, all of them. If we could pray for them, it would be awesome here tonight. Also, Scotty Shellnut uh, needs prayer and uh, Hannah Lewis needs prayers. You know, she just had a baby and uh, has had some situations where she's been readmitted back to the hospital. And uh, 
could develop into something very serious and Melanie's asked us to pray very fervently uh, tonight for for Hannah so if we could do that tonight if you would help us pray everybody if we could just go to the Lord and pray prayer right now let's all pray together Jesus we love you tonight and we're so grateful we're so thankful to be able to call on you in times like these you're not intimidated or fearful of any of these things. You know exactly what to do. You know exactly how to comfort. You know exactly how to heal. You can take us by the hand and lead us through anything. And you've proven that over and over. And tonight our faith is not any weaker, but stronger because of it. Pray for these families tonight. I need you so desperately. Thank the Lord. I pray, God, that you administer to them, that you would heal, that you would comfort, that you would strengthen that they would feel the comfort of the Holy Ghost, that they would feel the, the presence of the Lord with them. Uh, Terry and Jeff and uh, Chris and his kids and Hannah and Brother Merrill, Scotty, all these people, I pray, God, that you administer to them. I am asking you to minister to them and take them by the hand, be with them through these very difficult and challenging times. Thank the Lord. Let's clap our hands tonight and thank the Lord for... Hearing our prayers. <clears throat> Amen. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. I want to really take a moment while you remain standing to applaud our ministry team. I've asked them to uh, take care of, of the, some pulpit responsibilities for uh, just the next, probably the next couple of weeks. And they are just doing, I don't know what I'd do without these men, to be honest with you. Uh, they can spoil a pastor real easy, uh, and that is a fact. Uh, they've ministered the Word of God so eloquently. Uh, Brother Jason did amazing this past Sunday, and looking forward to what Brother Ben has to say to us tonight. But I love and appreciate our ministry team, and so thankful for them. Welcome, Brother Ben, to the pulpit as he comes to speak to us tonight. Praise the Lord, somebody. Praise the Lord. That was a good one. Well, I appreciate being here tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer over the rest or the remainder of this service. Lord, we love you. We appreciate you, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to be receptive to your word, dear Lord, to allow it to move us, Lord Jesus, in the direction, dear God, that we need to go, dear Lord. Bind us together, Lord God, in your love, Lord Jesus, and the truth of your word. Lord Jesus, anoint me, Lord God, as I preach and teach, Lord Jesus, to your precious people. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. If you'll bear with me just one moment before you're seated, we're going to read uh, the text scripture that I have for you tonight. It's going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 6. And this is a very familiar passage of scripture. We're going to start reading in verse 5. For they that are after the flesh, they that are, at, they that are after the flesh, do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. God bless you. You may be seated. I was in prayer, and, and whenever you approach the pulpit, you want to do so with, um, with a certain uh, feat, I guess you would say, because... You people are very precious to God, and we are very cognizant of that fact when we stand behind this, this podium. Now, I have a very simple lesson this evening uh, that I hope 
will help you navigate the world that we live in a little better after you hear it. And I'm going to try to teach instead of preach tonight. But you know how that works with me. Those things kind of get mixed together. Um, and this lesson tonight, it centers on clarity and focus and the distractions that are constantly surrounding us. And as I was praying about this, I, 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 this mental imagery of a photo that when taken is so very vibrant and, and colorful and meaningful and over a period of time as it is weathered and so many things come in front of it or so many things affected, it becomes more and more faded until it's hard to make out what was originally on that photo. Ladies and gentlemen, I feel that we are living within conditions, this is what I feel in my heart, that are, are, are an atmosphere, an environment that has caused the vibrancy of our awareness of God to become a little less distinct, a little less vivid, a little less vibrant in our lives. Now, I'm going to share a little something with you. I'm not overly transparent with, with, with you folks. I don't tell you a whole lot about my life, simply because I think it's kind of boring sometimes. But I'm going to share a little something with you tonight. I, unfortunately, play golf. That's right. Visualize that. Visualize this playing golf. Okay. I unfortunately play golf. I have developed, and I was very honest when I wrote this, I have developed through years and years of occasional and sporadic play, I have developed into a very, very poor golfer. Okay. Um, my, my inability to progress even uh, into even a mediocre play, player stems, I think, or I know in, in part, uh, to the fact that while on the course, while on this beautiful, vibrant green course, I cannot stop thinking of other places that I could be. That's not good if you want to be a good golfer. Okay. Uh, my mind is usually filled with, and the reason I'm a golfer, it, it, you obviously can tell that it's not, uh, I don't want it to be a part of my life, but I, in my business, because of the nature of my career, I have to go to golf tournaments. Uh, I would prefer to go fishing or anywhere else, anywhere else. Work, I would prefer to be at work. But I'm required to go to these uh, lengthy golf. People actually go and spend hours sweating chasing a little ball, and they like it. Uh, one of the last ones I went to here recently, and to, to, to accentuate uh, how bad I am, I, I went to one not long ago, and they grade the players by, it's a, a scramble, I don't know if you know what that is, I'm sure Brother Dave knows that, and they grade the players, A, B, C, this has nothing to do with my lesson, but A, B, C, D, and D's the worst. They're, they should have gone much further down the list to incorporate me into that. But I was the D player, and we were in a scramble, and this was kind of the tournament part of it. And uh, the D player plays first because it can't get any worse than them normally. And so I teed up, and I hit an absolutely beautiful shot. And I followed it by two more. They, we used each of my shots. I even curved the ball around some trees to land it within, I think, three or four feet of the hole. 
We eagled the hole. That's good, by the way, eagling. And the guys were, they were very ecstatic. The D player, our D player is a pro. And I said, look, I was, I mean, I'm a preacher. I have to be honest with you people. I said, you don't understand. I have no idea what just happened to get us in this place. And they weren't, they weren't hearing it. They, were, they thought they had the tournament won. I, I was very emphatic, ladies and gentlemen. I was very honest. You'd be very proud of me. I don't know what I'm doing, folks. And I proved that for the next 17 holes. So I'm not good at this. You have to be, you have to have a mind for it. My mind is, like I said, is usually filled with the things of greater importance and more pressing need that I could be attending to. I'm thinking about work and home and family and various other things. This distraction and lack of focus does not produce excellence. Now, if you've ever been around the sport for any length of time, you're going to learn about a man's name, a, a man named uh, Bobby Jones. This man was considered one of the greatest golfers in history. He was considered one of the greats of golf. Now, he competed his entire life as an amateur, yet dominated professionals throughout his time as a player. He was naturally good. And I'm often reminded of a quote that attributed to this legendary figure. And Bobby Jones said this, and it's very, very relevant to our lesson tonight. He said, the most important piece of real estate on the golf course is the five inches between your ears, your mind. What he was trying to convey is that golf was a mental endeavor more than a physical one. It requires clarity and focus if you're ever going to achieve success at the game. You cannot be distracted as you set up the shot. You can't be distracted as you execute the shot. You can't be distracted as you follow through. Everything has to work as it's supposed to. Your mind can't be anywhere else. You cannot be distracted to be successful. You cannot think about where else you would want to be or what else you want to be doing. If you do not see through the noise around you while on the course, you are simply walking around burning calories. That's good for me, but bad if you want to actually play golf. The truth spoken by this man who passed from this life 40 years ago about a game most people don't really play carries with it value beyond the golf course. And that's what I'm going to talk about with you tonight just for a few minutes, if you'll allow me. We're going to talk about clarity and focus. Clarity and focus. Now, when we think of those two terms, we cannot help but think of, of that thing that is in opposition uh, to the clear state of mind that is the result of clarity and focus. There's something that opposes that. There's something that tries to rob you of that clear state of mind. The oppositional force I'm referring to is, of course, distractions. Distraction. We're surrounded by it. We live in a world filled with distractions. In normal times, mental diversion is something every single person, under the sound of my voice, lives with and fights against in this culture. If you have a family, you have to fight distraction to be a good parent. If you're going to be successful in your job, you have to fight against the distractions of this world to be productive. I understand that. Now, however, the distractions of this world are even more prevalent. 
to the normal noise of life, the specter of constant fear and agitation due to a disease has been added to an already full mixture of distraction. It is heaped upon us. We are burdened with distraction. We may know intellectually what is of paramount importance. You may be able to tell me. It may be hidden somewhere in your mind. We may be able to still articulate that Jesus should be the center and the foundation of our lives. But that seemingly obvious truth is hidden behind layer after layer of problem and necessities and trials and circumstances. I believe that in some cases the, the members of the body of Christ are weary with the attempt to push aside those things that contend for our unindivided attention. You can see it. In church services and in your lives, your step's a little bit slower. Your demeanor is changed to, to a certain degree. Maybe our praise is affected and our worship is affected. The fervency of our belief, our ability to witness. These things are all burdened by the distractions and the sometimes the necessary obligations of life. Why should we explore the concept of a mental state of being in a, in a church service? Clarity and focus and distraction are things we wrestle with. We've heard sermon after sermon that approach the subject from every conceivable angle. And I don't feel the need to teach this because uh, clear, focused thinking enhances your ability to live a more thoughtful and deliberate life. That's an ancillary benefit. I, I want you to have... Uh, a more productive and a better life that's due to clear thinking and clarity and focus. I want you to have that. But that's not what's of eternal value. We need to appreciate the impact of distraction and the necessity of personal clarity in regards to our walk with God. There are greater things than being more productive at work. There are greater things than being a better golfer. The words of Bobby Jones resonates with me because in reality, the theater of spiritual warfare that we are engaged in every single day is fought in the five inches of real estate between our ears. There is a propensity within our culture to minimize the negative of the aspects of distraction, or to reframe the condition as necessary for mental health. The society does that because it serves them. It serves the society for you to be distracted. Diversion is sometimes even cast in a positive light when compared to the hectic nature of modern life, or at other times it is portrayed as having only limited negative effects. You are so busy, it's good to be distracted. We see vacations as a distraction from everyday life. I understand that. Those are not necessarily bad things, but the problem is we should never look at distractions as innocuous or insignificant, just a minor irritant that occasionally prevents us from achieving more in life. Why? Because yielding to distraction can become a habit. Yielding to distraction can become a habit in your life. And that habit 
will find its way into your relationship with God. I really like you to pay attention to this next statement that I'm going to make. The loss of focus, which is what distraction is, the loss of focus is a turning away from that which is truly important to something that is of lesser importance. That's what distraction is. A turning away of things that have real value to something that is transient and appeals to the flesh in that immediate moment. If you look at the narrative of Adam and Eve, what we have come to know as the fall is blamed on disobedience and rebellion appropriately. But when you look a little more closely, you see that at the core of that willful act was simply the turning away from God's instruction and declared expectation. Adam and Eve had that from the mouth of God. They carried that truth through their lives. But at some point in that beautiful garden, they turned away from a truth that they knew onto something that was simply an attempt to distract them from God's truth. And it had horrific effects in their lives and every human after. This willingness or proclivity to turn away from God is example throughout Israelite history. Their collective story is one of clear divine awareness Clear, divine interaction and awareness, followed by minds distracted by flesh and a cultural environment. They know who God is, they move forward in that truth, and then they find themselves in an environment that is antagonistic to that truth and offers them an alternative. And in that moment of distraction, time after time and after after time, of people who knew God abandoned him for the distraction. Idolatry, as exampled in the, the Old Testament, is in truth, in reality, the turning away from God to things imagined and created by man. It is the replacement of the holy with the mundane. That's a poor trade, ladies and gentlemen. Within the context of eternity, in our daily walk with the Lord, our constant inclination towards shifting our consciousness away from God carries with it the implication, and this is a horrible thing to say, but it's the truth, it carries with it the implication that God is of lesser value than that new particular thing. Our willingness to be diverted from our mindful devotion to God is in actuality an insinuation of God's insufficiency. That's what it is. When we are easily turned from this beautiful truth that transforms lives onto something that will change from moment to moment, 
You're, you're telling God, we are insinuating to God that you're not sufficient to sustain me. I'm going to try this little thing right here. And every time that choice is made, we alienate ourselves from the source of life and hope and truth. I have said the following to our adult class on more than one occasion. The proximity of God to anything devalues that thing in comparison to him. We'll say that again. The proximity to God, of God to anything in your life devalues that thing in relation to God. It doesn't mean that thing isn't valuable. It doesn't mean it's unimportant. It doesn't mean it doesn't need your attention. But that thing is not greater than God. That thing is not greater than God. Whether it is an enticement or a problem, it's not greater than God. It does not have a greater value than God. It does not reap greater dividends to you than a relationship with God. It may be of immediate importance to you. It may be interesting. It may be an interesting philosophy or an ideology. I don't know what it may be to you. But in comparison to God, it doesn't stand up in value. An extension of this truth is that God's presence, if properly valued and focused on, will lend proper context to circumstances and conditions that we find in our lives. This is because those things, that, whatever they may be that distract us, they do not have eternal significance. It does not mean that they are not important. Again, I say that it does not mean that they're not important. It just means that within the context of eternity, they must be subordinate to our connection to the Lord. Our perception of true value and significance could not be held hostage by the urgency of circumstance or necessity. We need, with the help of the Lord, with the help of Jesus, to be able to stay focused on Him while navigating the fluctuating requirements of life. We have to. Our carefully maintained, clearly valued, properly focused upon relationship with the Lord gives us a tether to peace in the driving winds of a chaotic life. If you're wondering over the course of your lives the, the reason that there is this growing apathy I'm not insinuating anything with you, but if you ever get yourself in this position, you're wondering why, why you aren't motivated to worship like you once were or motivated to praise like you once were or, or, or the house of God doesn't have the appeal that it once did. You have to look at the things that you have placed in front of God, that you have chosen instead of Him. God is not going to be an ancillary aspect of your life. He's not going to take the secondary position. Because, not, because as a secondary aspect of your life, you're obviously relying on something other than Him. That's the problem with a lack of clarity and focus. Remember the words of Paul to the believers in Rome. For to be carnally minded is death. 
it isn't just a problem. It leads to death. A separation from God. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There is a passage of scripture that is used with some frequency. And I love this passage of scripture to illustrate the abiding yet sometimes unseen power of God. Yet I, I believe it also illuminates clarity and distraction perfectly. It follows the attempt the attempts, numerous attempts, of, king, of a king of Syria in his attempts to capture and kill the prophet Elisha. At, the, at this moment in time, when we read this scripture, Elisha and a servant have, are, are, are staying in the city of Dothan. And, and king of Syria really wants to get gets his hands on the prophet Elijah. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 14 through 20. Therefore he, the king of Syria sent horses and chariots and a great army to that city. He knew where he was and he was going to take care of business. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early, when that person who was in close proximity to the man of God, he arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? What are we going to do? Take a look outside. Look at, the, look at what you've got. Look at the mess you've got us into now. This is not an unrealistic statement to make. I, I, I can feel where that servant was. I feel it. We have that 30,000 foot view of this man's life, but put yourself in his shoes. He didn't just leave speaking to an angel. He was rubbing the sleep out of his eyes and came and came in contact with an army. This young man is commenting correctly within the context of the situation. According to a perception, this is important, according to a perception that excluded God. Elisha served in proximity to someone godly. He was in proximity to church. He no doubt had a concept of the divine. Yet the immediacy of the issue was all that filled his mind. You can come to church and witness and feel the presence of God and still be moved with fear if all you have is a concept of God. An awareness of the Lord is not the same thing as a clear, deliberate focus on the Lord. I believe that this young man's perception had God as a vague idea rather than a sharply defined reality. If we succumb to distraction, the same thing can happen to us. I don't care how long you've come to this church. He was, as we often are, distracted by the urgency of circumstance. We can say safely from the distance of time that he should have been encouraged by the nearness of this great prophet. He must have known about what Elisha did in the past. He made an axe head float on water. He did. That's amazing. Yet making an axe head float on water is a lot different than defeating an army. I mean, I can imagine him standing there with Elisha. 
He made an axe head float. That's not quite the same thing, Elijah. These men have swords and spears and want to kill us. Are we distracted because the proportions of the problems that we face are seemingly larger and greater than our previous experiences with God? Have we surrendered our peace because we can't see God through the lockdowns and the marital problems and the lost loved ones and the pain? Has our firm declaration of faith waned because we have relegated God to that previous thing that he did for us? Verse 16, so we answer, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This is Elijah speaking to his servant. I can only imagine when he says this to the servant, the servant starts counting. One, two. Elisha, there's two of us, me and you. There's a whole army out there. Elisha said, don't worry about it. You see, because Elisha at at this moment... He was faced with the same evidence as his servant. Faced with the same evidence as his servant. Yet he could see appropriately beyond the amassed army. They did not become the focus of his mind because of his spiritual clarity in the middle of the circumstance. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This next point is very important. This young man who was so anxious about the obvious threat was suddenly aware of a divine presence that was always there. That was always there. How often... Are we overcome by the environment of our lives, feeling all along, and the entire time we are distracted from a presence that has always been with us? God does not abandon you in your time of need. The exigency of your circumstance doesn't relegate God to some secondary position. He isn't suddenly devoid of power because you're having a problem. God doesn't abandon you. He is always there. We just need to see him. He did not realize... This young man did not realize this thing, the Syrian army, was in reality simply a distraction because it was all he could see in the moment. It's all he could see in the moment. Distraction when it is allowed to separate us from the truth and reality of God. It is in many ways a type of spiritual blindness. And ladies and gentlemen, it has real consequences. It prevents us from valuing the gift of God that we possess. That's what it does. It weakens our faith. It lessens the vibrancy of our worship. It causes our praise to become anemic. Lack of spiritual clarity and focus opens the door to fear. It opens the door to anxiety and doubt and depression most importantly, I believe, it ushers in a spiritual apathy. 
that can eventually drive us right out of the church. That's the danger of distraction. To have an awareness of God that is unencumbered and clear requires an understanding of the nature of the problem, though. An awareness of the composition of those things that are trying to stand between us and God. What are the methods and strategies and simple conditions that distract us? We have to look at those things. And I make a distinction between methods and strategies and conditions. Because sometimes our minds and subsequently our lives are diverted not by the concerted efforts of our adversary, but simply by the conditions in which we live. Everyday life can be a distraction when it comes to serving God. You, and this is by no means me telling you that you have to quit your job. You still have to work. You still have to raise your kids. All that stuff needs to happen. But we have to have a proper focus. I do believe at other times that that those things that divert our minds are intended to do so, that there is intent, a nefarious intent behind their insinuation into our lives. This recognition of the nature of the problem is important because of one of the consequences distractions take from us when we imbibe in them, I guess you would say. That thing that they take from us that is irreplaceable is time. The expenditure of the moments of our lives Grace Church needs to be done consciously, not through distraction. We need to be aware that distractions steal from us our moments with Jesus. And have, they have two forms. They have a common form and what I like to call an obscure form. The common form are things that surround us every single day. They're aspects of our world and culture that we often invite, voluntarily invite into our lives. Things like social media. Everybody here knows I'm not a fan of social media. I believe that with some people at some times it can become an emotional pacifier. Just my opinion. I believe that news media, news can become a distraction. I believe that current events, the constant change, the urgency of current events can be a distraction. I obviously believe that entertainment can. There's nothing good coming out of Hollywood. Don't waste your time. There are other things that are distractions too, that things that are valuable to this world like status and materialism and unbridled, unrestrained ambition. These things are in the forefront of our minds when we are tasked with determining just what has diverted our attention from the truly valuable things in our lives. You can, all of you could have come up with that list, I believe. Those are what I like to call the common distractions. I believe they are relatively easy to recognize and we can accurately recognize and understand their, their detrimental effects on our relationships, both with one another and, more importantly, with God. We consider them to be everyday components of modern life, but they are all rooted in this world. In regarding these things, we must superimpose the words of Paul from our initial text onto them. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Though these common hindrances to clarity and God-centered focus are easily identified, everybody would have come up with social media. We can easily label them as essentially frivolous or extraneous to our lives. I get it. Sometimes, some things, however, 
turn our minds from God are composed not by frivolous things, but by things that have actual value. When we face this, we must understand the real danger posed by this. I cannot be emphatic enough when I say that the impact of distraction penetrates into our connection to God. Our walk and relationship with Jesus can be detrimentally affected. The realization of our potential in Christ in the kingdom of God can be diminished. Like I said, it's not always by the obvious culprits that I spoke about a moment ago, although they certainly share the blame, some of the blame. There are other distractions, those hidden behind relevant things, those hidden within legitimate components of our life that, if left unrevealed, can cause us some serious spiritual frustrations. This realization introduces us to the concept of obscure distraction, things that occlude our spiritual sight because they claim a legitimate place of importance in our lives, things like distractions of necessity, distractions of circumstance, and distractions of tradition. I'm not going to be able to get to all those you can relax. I know what time it is. Let's talk about the distractions of necessity for a moment. The first I'd like to call your attention to is the distraction birth from necessity. Those needful things, those things that are charged with personal expectation. Because the word of God, we were able to peek into the lives of individuals who lived a long time ago. And the specific lives I'd like to look at are, are those of Martha and Mary. And if you can read with me in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. We're going to read a a snapshot of their lives. Verse 38, Now it came to pass as they went that they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him, speaking of Jesus, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Verse 40, But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost Not thou care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. We see two women who were both in the presence of God, yet they each had a different valuation for that singular, unique being. One spent that time in rapt attention, desiring to hear and absorb as much from Jesus as she could, while the other was engrossed with those things that she felt were necessary. We know from other texts related to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus that these people enjoyed a special bond with the Lord, and he occupied a unique place within their family dynamic. But could it be that because of her familiarity with Jesus and the closeness of her family's bond to the Lord that she began to consider his presence a little less special, a little more common, and perhaps just a touch touch unremarkable. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. I believe that this shift in perception and Martha's distraction by necessary obligations is revealed in her lack of enthusiasm for that which was truly valuable. Martha was host not to some itinerant scribe or rabbi. She was hosting the prophesied savior of the entire human race. That singular being who chose to burden himself with the sins of humanity in order to rectify a mistake made by his creation, in order to reconcile mankind to him. 
And yet this singular sovereign being sat in her home, teaching and revealing eternal pathways and truth. And while he was doing that, she was distracted in another room, choosing perceived necessity over life-giving truth. I know that while we are here at church on a Wednesday afternoon or a Wednesday evening or on a Sunday morning, that there are other aspects of your life that are still going on. But don't trade this time for that. Don't trade this for that. God's manifest presence was in her home, yet her mind and body were elsewhere. How often do we come to church, feel the presence of God, but we are thinking about what we're going to do on a Sunday afternoon? How often is this the story of our own lives? The conduct of these two women in this one circumstance can certainly be seen to depict the duality of our modern lives. God is within us, ladies and gentlemen. Gift of the Holy Ghost, that's what that means. God is in residence, yet we have a tendency to compartmentalize the Lord. We relegate him to a portion of our lives. We worship and communicate on designated days, but the remainder of our time is committed to things that are necessary. We extract God from certain aspects of our lives because we are focused on this task or we have this deadline and we have these expectations to meet. Martha was burdened with the important role of a host. I say it was important because within that culture, hospitality within your home was was very important. I don't believe that there was any intended disrespect meant toward the Lord or devaluing of his presence. The distracted mind of Martha, ladies and gentlemen, did not diminish Jesus. It didn't do that. It simply robbed Martha of time with Christ. Our indifference to the presence of God doesn't diminish the presence of God. It diminishes our contact with the presence of God. And we can't afford that. We read in contrast, I'm going to finish with this, we read in contrast about Mary, her sister, who was no doubt cognizant of the cultural implications of being an appropriate host to one's house guests. We're not told of any mental or societal defect within this woman that would cause her to be purposefully inattentive to necessary duties in a normal social engagements of that time. However, we do not find Mary serving food and drink by her sister's side. We find her at the feet of Jesus. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. This is the moment when the Lord chooses to illustrate the difference between something that is eternally important and something that is, in comparison, simply a distraction. And Jesus answered unto her and said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing, one thing is needful. And Mary, she's chosen that good thing, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus, we read here, gently rebukes Martha and reminds his audience and us to attend to what's truly important, which is his presence. Jesus' comments to Martha also provides context for the importance of what we do here in our services. And our devotion to the Lord. We must choose clear focus on Him. 
focus on him in spite of the necessities of life, despite the circumstances of life, and despite the obligations of life. It comes down to a matter of clarity and focus. We must shake ourselves from the spiritual apathy that, is, that constantly threatens to weaken our connection to Christ and begin again to steadfastly look to the Lord. God bless you. Let's close with prayer. Lord, we love and appreciate you tonight. We pray, dear God, that you prick our hearts, dear Lord, if this is applicable to our lives, Lord Jesus. I pray that you move us, Lord Jesus, into the direction that we need to go. Anoint these people's minds, Lord God. Bless them, Lord Jesus, with a more vibrant, deliberate relationship with you. In your precious and holy name we pray. Everyone say amen. God bless you tonight.